Hello and welcome to the Dispatch Podcast Week in Review. I'm Paul Cross and I'm joined by Carol. Hello, Paul. How are you, Carol? I'm good, Paul. How are you? I'm well. How was the Easter Bunny? Uh, very kind. <laughs> Maybe too kind. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. My two-year-old was bouncing off the wall. So. <laughs> yeah, a little too much. Yeah, that is, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's an exciting time when you're a child, I think. <laughs> All right. All right. Straight into it. Paul? Health Minister Mark Butler has announced the planned retirement of Health Department Secretary ben- Brendan Murphy. That shouldn't be that hard to say. <laughs> Any thoughts? Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Secretaries obviously have a huge influence over the way a department operates. Jane Holton was secretary for close to 15 years. Obviously built, constructed that department around her view of how things should be. She was succeeded by Martin Bowles, who I have to say did extraordinary damage to that department in terms of removing layers of the senior executive service. So an enormous amount of capability that was built up over the years was just removed. Mm. Yeah, so that was that was bad. And then we had Glenis Beecham and now we've had Professor Murphy. And he certainly led this department through a difficult time, a once-in-a-century pandemic. Yeah. And I think that created a lot of complexity. History will judge ultimately the health department's performance on the pandemic and particularly its advice on matters certainly related to the COVID-19 vaccine. Mm. Hopefully at some point the Albanese government will announce a, a Royal Commission so we can get behind, get back to the fact that some of the decisions early in the pandemic were pretty poor uh, around, around the vaccine. And now, now we look forward to a new secretary and, and people might be surprised to know that Mark Butler may or may not get a say in deciding who leads his department. Ultimately, it's a matter for the Prime Minister. Yeah. And in my experience, the Prime Minister goes into a room with the secretary of their department and decides who should be leading this agency. And sometimes they may choose to consult with the Health Minister, but it's certainly no, no requirement because ultimately – the Secretary of the Health Department reports to the Secretary of the Department of the Prime Minister and Cabinet. So yeah. that's that's the way it goes. So that, that will certainly be interesting. And, of course, you, know, you change the leadership of an agency, you change an agency. Mm. And so it'll be interesting to see who they appoint and what changes they bring. And I don't think it would be a surprise to anyone for me to say that is an agency crying out for some change. <laughs> Okay. And what did you mean this morning when you wrote about the smash and grab approach to policy development? That's actually a really good segue. I hadn't thought about it when I saw that, but policy development in recent years has sort of become, this, I call it smash and grab. Another way to describe it is, you know, the, <laughs> the jump out of a plane with the parachute and hope it opens. <laughs> policy used to be done incrementally because there was always concern that in institutionalised frameworks, if you pull big levers, if you prod public health programs, they can have unintended consequences. So you've got to treat them with great caution. And so a lot of the time when it comes to programs like Medicare or PBS, of course, policies develop slowly in, an, in a graduated way so that you can manage. Take the time to, to, to pilot things, trial them, see how they go, identify any, any poor outcomes, some unexpectedly good ones, and adjust going forward before you rush to full implementation. And I think we've seen a lot of the time in the last few years, it's happened a lot in the last few years, and Mark Butler's dealt with this in his first year as health minister, savings targets are created without any idea 
whether the policy around which they are designed is capable of delivering. Mm. And we've seen that certainly in the PBS and we've seen it obviously this week. There's a lot of focus on the, the increased dispense quantities, which is, okay, that, that might have merit as a policy. The way it was announced and originally constructed, which was just the smash and grab, pull the lever, let's handbrake this and see if we can just get away with it. And the pharmacy guild just weren't going to have a bar of it and did what they do incredibly effectively. Governments have wasted five years when they could have been trialling it, piloting it, testing the consequences of it, good and bad, and getting to a point, understanding that change, that, that sort of change can take a lot, a long time. And it, and it needs to be done cautiously because this is one part of the health system. The pharmacy, pharmaceutical medicines supply chain is one that works really well. You know, think about it. The vast majority of people can turn up to their pharmacist with full confidence the medicine they've been prescribed is going to be there. Yeah. And if it's not there on that day, they'll have it for you the next day. Yeah. It's working really, really well. So why would you want to risk that? Mm. Why would you want to undermine it? And I think that's something that Mark Butler will be contemplating in the context of these calls by doctor groups. And fair enough, this is a very political fight between these two areas of the health profession. The minister and his advisors will be contemplating whether you really want to take a risk on this. Or is there another way we can do it slowly and let's just see see what happens? I just wish – I call it the old-fashioned approach to policy, which is slow, slow, incremental, cautious care, bring stakeholders along with you. Less and less of that has been happening lately. Mm. Okay, and just one month until our annual conference, what should we be looking forward to? Well, obviously the budget is – is going to be released the week before our event, as as it always is, and that's going to be an area of, I think, significant focus because the government's certainly talking up a a pretty tough budget. Yeah, we're getting warnings. We are getting warnings <laughs> almost on a daily basis. So obviously something's going to happen in there. So that, that will be interesting. I do think that what we're aiming for this year is a bit of a wider discussion. We're bringing yeah. in diagnostics and medical devices because I think there's a lot of shared experience there. So I'm really looking forward to that. We've got a lot of patients coming and patient group representatives, which is great. Anne Rustin's going to be there, the Shadow Health Minister, the PBSC Chair, Andrew Wilson, who's always so giving of his time on these things. So I'm really looking forward to that. The industry leaders and the patients. So I'm just looking forward to what is always a great day. And it's a great opportunity for everyone to get together. Uh, The industry used to do that a lot. It does it less so these days. I know there's the last couple of years have been very, very difficult. And a lot of people will be getting together during the budget week. But I, I always like just catching up with people. And hopefully it's an interesting conversation and everyone really, really enjoys it. But I do think we're going to, there's going to be some fairly pointed conversations, I would say. Mm, something to look forward to. <laughs> a few things. A few things, to. yeah. Okay. Given all the savings oh, – questions from you guys, sorry. <laughs> Given all the savings generated under the industry's agreements with the government and the fact they are less than one year old, do you really think there could be more could be a move to impose new savings measures? Well, yeah, the agreements don't preclude new savings measures. It just requires the government to consult on their scope and impact. I would remind everyone that when a government announces a saving, so the $1.9 billion net saving delivered by or efficiencies, they called it, but savings delivered by these two new agreements is already spent. Mm. So if the government wants to find, continue to deliver on its political promise, its policy commitment to, to list all medicines recommended by the PBAC, then I think we have to imagine that there is a high risk of new policy proposals, if not this year, then next year. I would also remind people that 
in the last few iterations of reform, things have been hidden in a budget and then negotiated as a decision taken but not yet announced. That was certainly the case last time and it's been the case in previous occasions as well. So it's quite possible that the budget has nothing in it related to the PBS new PBS savings and has no measures and everyone celebrates that, but it doesn't mean it's not hidden in there somewhere. And I think people just need to be cautious about that because in the sort of fiscal situation we're dealing with and the demands for new spending, well, history suggests it would be absolutely remarkable if over the next year or two there wasn't an approach to industry. And, of course, something like the HTA review might require the, the government to bring forward spending. That's that's another potential moment where the industry will be asked to stick its hand in its pockets again. Mm. Okay, and if there are any savings, what do you believe they will target? So, so policies have this nat- natural life cycle. So we've seen this, the, the push for statutory price reductions over the past decade in the PBS has largely been because price disclosure started to run out of steam. Price disclosure delivered the most extraordinary amount of money over a very short period of time. But that ran out of speed because the billion-dollar drugs that were losing patent expiry and then were delivering, generating these price disclosure reductions just weren't there anymore. Mm-hmm. And small molecule generics are, are more substitutable than complex biologics that are losing patent protection. So the government had to do something. So they did statutory price reductions, which now cover a medicine's life cycle. My, my view is they'll get more aggressive on follow-on drugs, euphemistically known as me-toos. So if you're a fifth drug in a particular class, I think they will become far more aggressive in saying, well, we're not going to list you unless there's a financial advantage to us. Mm. That would make a lot of sense to me. From their perspective, uh, we can argue the right and wrong of the policy, but I do think that's where they'll start to go eventually. And then, of course... With the catch-up statutory price reductions, as we've previously discussed, it's created, broken all of these reference pricing linkages. So I suspect, I suspect the government might try to re-establish those. And there, there will be mechanisms and opportunities to do that. They can do it, but in order for them to get recognition of that as a savings, they're going to have to actually do it as an official policy. So I think the terms of reference to the HTA review do talk about how the process manages new therapies that don't offer a significant clinical benefit. That, to me, is sort of a bit of a red flag. Regardless of what I think they're going to be, I do think people need to get their head around the fact that just as price disclosure is petered out, statutory price reductions, one might argue that there's not a lot left over a medicine's life cycle now on statutories. The government might disagree. So they're going to have to go into another area. The industry is really, really good at creating reports and papers that support its agenda I think one agenda, one, one opportunity for them is to start developing reports and creating an evidentiary basis for why some of the things the government might want to do are not so good. Being a bit more defensive and having a bit more of a defensive mindset. People see that as negative, but it's not. It's just r- realistic in a system where all the power is on one side of the table. It, it's perfectly reasonable to take a defensive mindset to that. But, you know, I could be completely wrong and... <laughs> The government might not have any savings in mind, and, and who knows? I just think that would be that would be inconsistent with the history of this program over an extended period of time. That when you look you look within the health portfolio, there's not a lot of opportunity to generate savings because a lot of it is fixed. 
within programs. So it, it might occur around discretionary spending because the PBS is one of those areas that's constantly requiring more money. And so there might be a discussion within government about how we can do that a bit more, a bit more efficiency. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised. And even if it's not announced as a measure in the May budget, I would alert people to the fact that it doesn't mean it's not there. It might be hidden away in the contingency reserve as a decision taken but not yet announced, which we only ever find out about subsequently because officials make mistakes <laughs> and, and, and announce it. But thank you, Carol. Thanks, Paul. Have a great weekend. You too. Bye-bye.